Welcome to Pop Psych 101, where we, licensed therapist Ryan Engelstad and licensed psychologist Dr. Haley Roberts, break down and analyze how mental health is represented in movies, shows, books, and across the pop culture and social media landscape. We will determine what lines up with real life and what is just pop culture fantasy. This is Pop Psych 101. Welcome back to Pop Psych 101. I am licensed therapist Ryan Engelstad. Thrilled to have as my guest today, Dr. Haley Roberts. Haley, thank you so much for joining me today. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Well, I appreciate it. You you responded to a post that I put out mm-hmm. uh, into the podcast world um, saying that you were interested in coming on. I understood you almost had a show of your own, and this is something that you've been interested in doing. So yeah. I'm just really excited to have a fellow. Um, can, do I kind of is it fair to call you a therapist? I know you're a side yeah. D, but yeah, yeah. Um, yes, I'm also a therapist. I'm a licensed psychologist. That's the only difference. Wonderful. Um, well, again, thank you so much. I thought, you know, since it's possible that you might be a recurring uh, guest on the show, that uh-huh. we could kind of get to know each other a little bit more than just through Facebook Messenger. Um, <laughs> so before we get to the, today's episode, which we are going to be talking about Queen's Gambit, which we're very excited about. Yes. Um, it sort of reminded me, I used to work at um, a... Uh, outpatient clinic, and I did work with adolescents, um, often dual diagnosis. So seeing the uh, the orphanage and the sort of the setup and some of those things really brought me back to some of those times. So I thought I could ask you some of my favorite like group icebreaker questions, Ooh, lucky which <laughs> for adolescents are always just like goofy ways for us to just kind of warm up. Yeah, absolutely. Sound? Oh, I'm so on board. It's nice to be on this side of this question for once. Okay, wonderful. <laughs> Um, okay. So one of my favorite ones is uh, a pretty standard. It's if you could have any superpower, what superpower would you choose and why? Um, so I have an kind of obscure answer to this. And also I think it's like, yeah, of course you're a therapist. Um, (laughs) I always say that I'd love to see myself the way other people see me. Um, or like to be able to like see yourself through their eyes briefly. Um, because there will be times where people will be like, Oh, Haley, like you're not scared of anything. And I'd be like, what? I'm like terrified all the time. Um, but something about like the way that I present, I come across really like, you know, brave and like, um, you know, super extroverted, which actually I'm really introverted. Um, and so, Sometimes I just wish that I could be like, how are they seeing me right now? Just out of, you know, curiosity. So that's like sort of like telekinesis or, or um, yeah, like you could sort of read people's thoughts, but mm-hmm. in a very specific way. Yeah. Like I literally like I don't I have no interest in knowing people's thoughts all the time because that is a scary world. Sure. But I do want to be able to like just go into like that portion of their thoughts, right? The the visual and the like conceptualization of like me through their eyes. I love that. <laughs> I, it's I love a very specific superpower. So that Isn't that is so great. wild? Yes, yes. So then I have a question for you. Oh, please. Thank you. Yes. Do you have, quote unquote, a superpower? Do you have a talent that is a completely useless talent that you love about yourself? Um, I don't know that I love it about myself. It's okay. just something that I like. Uh, you know, it's sort of like a quirky thing. Um, I've got a couple of weird body things. And the the funniest one, especially to my daughter, is I can sort of wiggle my ears. Oh, yeah. That is a I fun can, trick like, for kids. I can move my ears. Um, you know, I can do the tongue to the nose thing. Oh, impressive. Um, and then this one is sort of like a trick thing, but... Um, one of my arms is longer than the other, um, because of an injury, a tennis injury, okay. uh, a very long time ago. Um, so you can kind of play almost like play tricks on people. Like <laughs> look how much longer the arm is than the other. I don't know. Sometimes I get, I get, uh, I get a kick out of, um, surprising people with little innocuous things like that. I'm not sure why. That's incredible. Yeah, that's the performer in you, isn't it? I think you're right. Yes. <laughs> it's it's hey, look what I can do. Yeah. Like but Absolutely. as an adult. Yeah. That's so funny. Um, it's so true. Okay, I have I have at least one more. Uh this okay. is this is a goofy one. Yes. Um 
if you could combine any two fruits or vegetables, uh, <laughs> what would you combine? And then you have to come up with a name for that new uh, fruit or vegetable or okay. whatever type of food we would call this. Lemon and strawberry feels too obvious, right? Because that's just like strawberry lemonade. But sure. Um, No, I think that's what I would go with. I think I'd go with strawberries and lemons, and I would call them. Ooh, uh, <laughs> um, I guess lemonberry, but that's like no fun. But that's the most <laughs> sellable. <laughs> it felt like you were going to go with something bigger, and then you backed off on it. If that isn't a metaphor, man. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, no, I think I like it. No, lemon berry is nice. Efficiency is key when it comes to me. <laughs> okay, and and I'm just going to add an extra question on, and okay. and what would it size be? Like, would it be the size of a berry, but like yellow, or would it be the size of a lemon, but red totally. and yeah, multicolored on the inside? So I would want it to be like the size of a lemon. So I'd want it mostly to be a lemon, but the strawberry flavor in the lemon, because I like the consistency nice. of citrus fruits, you know, like, um, like orange slices and things like that more than I like the consistency of strawberries, mm. but I want the flavor of the strawberry to be in it. And what would be really cute is if the skin is still yellow, but the like edible fruit on the inside is like a pinkish color like the surprise yeah yeah, yeah. like think of how like instagram ready that would be right oh, absolutely you cut that i'm in surprised half this doesn't exist it. already yeah yeah oh gosh no yeah that that's what i want okay <laughs> well well now we know so we'll 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 have the genetic uh modifiers get right on that <laughs> perfect well, actually, uh, did right. you find out that i mean did you know that like an orange isn't a naturally occurring fruit an orange is not a naturally occurring fruit. I yeah. cannot say that I knew that. I don't even, I'm not even sure what that means. So it's like an orange. Like we've created it? The way that we know is like a mix of a mandarin and something else. Okay. Also, okay. please don't take my word for this. Go look it up somewhere on a reliable no, source. I love, I love uh, assumed confidence. That's, <laughs> that's the best way to, especially uh, we're doing a podcast. We have to at least sound like we know what we're talking Absolutely. about. Absolutely. That's so funny. And actually, that's one of those things that, you know, seeing myself through other people's eyes, there's times where I think I'm asking a question, but everybody else thinks I'm making a statement. And that causes so many miscommunications in my world. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I, I think we've, uh, we've, we've established a, a good foothold from where to go from here. We've, we've uh, sort of now for something completely different. Why don't we get into Queen's Gambit, which will be unfortunately much less silly, but nonetheless uh, important for a uh, discussion about mental health and, and other things. So Absolutely. Um, first, uh, a quick break from our sponsors. Hey everyone, Ryan here. No ad this week, but a quick request. We would love to know where you follow us. So if you wouldn't mind taking 10 seconds while you're listening to today's episode, reach out to us on your social media of choice. Say hi, say what's up, request an episode topic. We would love to hear from you. And now back to the episode. The Queen's Gambit is a 2020 American coming-of-age period drama miniseries based on Walter Tevis's 1983 novel of the same name. The title refers to Queen's Gambit, a chess opening. It was written and directed by Scott Frank, who created it with Alan Scott. Beginning in the 1950s and proceeding into the 1960s, the story follows the life of Beth Harmon, played by Anya Taylor-Joy, an orphaned chess prodigy on her rise to the top of the chess world, while struggling with drug and alcohol dependency. So, um, Haley, we are talking about the Queen's Gambit, and it's uh, you. Before we started, you mentioned that you uh, don't typically, you know, watch whether it's TV or movies through the eyes of a therapist. Which I wish I could turn that off. I, I can't say that I, I share that ability. I'm always like, "Ooh, this would be a fun thing to talk yeah. about with my therapist friends." Um, <laughs> Maybe that's my superpower. Uh, well, and, and it's a, it's an important one, right? We're we're trying to prevent burnout and all these other sorts mm -hmm. of things, but um, but yeah. So, 
And then you said you rewatched it and mm-hmm. you kind of maybe saw some things that you didn't notice before or you came away with some some different angles. So I'm really mm-hmm. excited to talk to you about this. And I think um, I want to acknowledge up front um, this episode, obviously, we'll be talking about drug use. We'll be talking about um, uh, Beth Harmon has some trauma. So if any of these are issues mm-hmm. that uh, you would not want to hear discussed, uh, this is your warning for that type of content. Um, because this girl does not have an easy life. Mm-mm. And from the beginning, um, and, and we learn more and more about her circumstances, how she ended up at the orphanage. Yeah. Um, Beth Harmon is this, you know, you're sort of introduced to this character and you immediately just sort of feel badly for her. At least that was my experience. At the beginning, um, I, Yeah. I guess, yeah, of course I feel bad for her. I was like thinking like, did I feel bad or was I just curious? Um, oh, sure, sure. Well, I yeah. guess and part of it is like the 1950s orphanage, right? Just the mm-hmm. whole vibe of that. Yeah. Um, you know, as I mentioned up front, I've I've worked in, um, in settings where you have a bunch of kids around. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think probably like most orphanages um, during this period of time, mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of very concerning approaches to yeah. uh, sort of how to, I guess, help these kids. I think at, at basically they're just trying to get them adopted. Uh-huh. Um, but it's it's really, it's a tragic setting in a lot of ways. Yeah. And I, um, too, actually my residency or my um, psych internship was at a children's hospital um, okay. inpatient unit. Mm. Um, and so what I thought was really funny was, um, her friend Jolene would obviously always be like screaming expletives and things like that kind of randomly. And I laughed every time it happened. And, um, the people I was watching it with were kind of like, oh my goodness. And, um, I felt that was amusing because for me, like, kind of like you said, like there, when you have all these kids living together in an environment like that, um, there are just certain personalities that come out and you know quirks and things that become lovable rather than like off-putting yeah and i think that's a great sort of introduction to sort of what we see over time uh with beth in these first couple of episodes and obviously we're not going to go through every sort of aspect Mm -hmm. of this plot it's um you know it's a seven episode miniseries but um you know we start to see some of the sort of cracks in beth's personality right she Mm -hmm. sort of seems quiet and reserved but she does um, open up fairly quickly, um, whether that's because of the tranquilizer she's taking or not, we start to see, you know, who Beth Harmon really is. Yeah. And I think it's fascinating, especially when we're dealing with kids, um, sort of what helps them come out of their shell. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously this is a time, the 1950s, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, they weren't, they weren't giving them tranquilizers for their mental health needs. No. <laughs> they were just trying to keep them tranquilized. Yes. Yeah. And I think for people who don't know um, that this was, you know, probably pretty close to real life. So obviously Queen's Gambit is, is a fiction story, mm-hmm. but it is very much the real life experience I came to learn of the author of the book, um, Walter Tevis. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Apparently, he also grew up uh, in uh, similar circumstances to Beth. Oh, interesting. That's interesting because yeah. I actually one thing that I appreciated about this show um, was that they didn't make the orphanage this like horrific experience like you mm. get in so many like Hollywood um, stereotypes, right? Um, like Annie, something like that. Yeah, right. Yeah. Where, yeah. You know, it's the the headmistress is abusive, and um, the kids are locked in, you know, like Miss Trunchbull type, right. like, yes, yes, um, you know, closets and things like that. So, what I really liked about it was it wasn't that awful, and it also shows you, even in a place where you get your most basic needs met, if all your needs aren't met, it's still pretty miserable, you know. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and we see, you know, how the, um, the, the orphanage sort of does try to keep the kids in line, right? There's some pretty strict rules. There's classes more or less. Mm -hmm. Um, and we start to get a sense of like what it must be like to, to kind of be in this strict environment. Mm -hmm. Um, and we do in that first opening episode, um, we do meet, uh, Mr. Scheibel. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, who I would say more or less becomes 
Beth's mentor. Yeah. Um, and it was interesting to me because I sort of, you know, as I said, I sort of get sucked into the therapy. It's like, okay, is Mr. Scheibel an effective, and obviously he's not a therapist, but if he's like the closest thing to what a nine-year-old child in an orphanage in 1950s would have gotten to a therapist, it's a pretty interesting um, question dynamic. Yeah. Um, that's actually a really interesting question. And I know my immediate answer is yes. <laughs> um, in that all she needed was somebody who consistently was there. Mm -hmm. um, and I think as a child, it never really sank in that he was that for her. Um, but then it sinks in in later episodes where she goes back and she finds that board with basically her success plastered all over it. And she re realizes that he loved her basically, you know, and how a, important he was to her. Absolutely. Yeah. And how important she was to him, which I think that's also yes. equally as important for her. Um, because I think, um, and I'll definitely go into this more because I think it's very central to her character, but her relationship with her mom as mm. many um, children's relationships with their early caregivers are sets her up for a lifetime of relationship patterns. Um, and I think um, realizing that he, you know, cared for her consistently, even when she wasn't there, didn't pay him back, wasn't reliable, um, made her like, I think it was a turning point for her. Oh, yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. And, and, and we'll get to some of the later, um, adult years, but I think, you know, the, so obviously these early scenes, you know, I, so in addition to working with sort of adolescents, um, I also did a lot of dual diagnosis. So seeing in many cases, kids who were struggling with, um, substance abuse issues. Mm -hmm. So we see Beth who, um, initially is just sort of given this tranquilizer, um, which I couldn't remember the name, but I think it's basically a fictional name, yeah, it's um, sort of, yeah. yeah. Um, and so what happens with Beth when she takes the tranquilizer is, you know, as she's lying in bed at night, she starts to, and this is obviously after she learns about chess, but she starts to, would you say hallucinate? I mean, it's hard to really tell if this is happening, quote unquote, in her mind or if she's actually seeing it on the ceiling. It was a really interesting way to portray it. And they didn't necessarily do it as like, oh, like this terrible, scary thing. Yeah. It felt very much in her own control. Yeah. Um, I think for me, what would um, separate it from hallucinations is that I think she realizes it's not real. Like, I think she realizes that she's projecting it onto the ceiling. Right. Great point. Yeah. Um, and so for me, I think that um, that's what kind of keeps it more visual thinking like I think she can just visualize um really well um yeah yeah so it's clear that she has some some natural ability already it's not yes. like tranquilizers themselves are um making her good at chess but there's something that it allows her to do um focus wise and and sort of uh spatially or visually um and this starts to feel really good. Now she's, uh, I mean, we could argue, but she comes becomes essentially addicted to yes. this feeling, this experience. Yep. Um, and then over the course of just the first episode, um, the state passes a law outlawing <laughs> the use of tranquilizers on children, uh -huh. which, hey, great. Yay! Um, <laughs> but then we immediately, right, we immediately see that Beth is suffering from withdrawal because she yes. was getting extra doses and all these sorts of things. Yeah. Um, and then the scene where she, you know, sneaks out of class and steals uh, handfuls and, and shovels them down her throat. I, you know, I mean, I knew she wasn't going to die, obviously, because the whole series is about her. But my goodness, that was terrifying yeah. for me um, mm -hmm. to see a child steal medication and just sort of, you know, shoveling it down her mouth because mm -hmm. she's so desperate to kind of chase this feeling. Yeah. And also makes it clear like the the immaturity of her thought pattern right like she doesn't yes. truly understand um what it is right because jolene keeps right. on being like girl how many of those did you take mm -hmm. um, without explaining kind of why she's asking that of her and so it makes it very clear that beth gets that it feels good but she doesn't truly understand you know what's happening Right. All she knows is that is a good feeling and she yeah. wants to feel that way 
Yeah. As much as possible, right? Yeah. And I don't even know um, if it's a yeah. good feeling as opposed to it's just like oh, sure. a feeling, right? Yep. Yeah. Well, right, because that is sort of one of the aspects of best personality that comes out is I don't want to say coldness, but there's this sort of stoic um, nature um, of, you know, that as she, especially even as she grows up, just this mm-hmm. sort of, um, yeah, a very sort of quiet presentation. Um, but obviously internally, there's a whole lot more going on for her. Yeah. So um, let me jump into kind of some of my thoughts Please. about attachment style. Um, Thank you. Yes. Yeah. So um, first and foremost, I think, you know, for our listeners, it's clear that sometimes people will use attachment style phrases like their horoscopes, right? Like this is the label that you have and it's your label forever. And, um, that's totally not the case. It's, um, just a pattern of behaviors, right. And how people, someone tends to be based on how they've learned to be. Um, and it's totally changeable. So people who had, you know, tough, um, childhoods who have like, um, you know, avoidant attachment can grow into secure attachment as an adult um, with the right relationships. So I think that that's really important for people to know um, as we talk about stuff like this. But okay, so with Beth, I kind of see her as an avoidant, fearful, avoidant attachment. Mm-hmm. And basically what that means is it's a person who desperately craves attention and affection, but also wants to avoid it at all costs. Um, and oftentimes when you have a parent who's, um, like unstable emotionally with you and also just kind of like has a totally chaotic vibe, like, um, Beth's mom had a child often ends up with this type of attachment because there's the, like, mom is there and then mom's not there and then mom is there and then mom's not there. And so she kind of learns to like, not like to want that attention, but then also to realize that it can hurt her. Um, so something about avoidant attachment is the people often present with few words. They lack emotional vividness. They're very factual. Um, their emotional regulation can be dissociative right? Mm, And if we look at Beth using drugs, like girl tries to dissociate all the time. Right. Um, She's essentially seeking that out. Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, so she kind of like has this internal need and crave and desire for affection and relationship, but this external kind of, I'm fine, leave me alone, which of course, right? Like that's what she needed to protect herself as a child. Um, be fine because mom needs you to be fine, but on mm. the inside, want nothing more than mom to like love you endlessly. Um, so, and then, um, you know, that kind of fearful avoidant is always, not always, but usually leads to push and pull relationships with others. Um, and we see that, I feel later. like we see that with Mr. Scheibel, right? Where he sort of wants to be very, um, almost like authoritative with her. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, you know, he's sort of very strict. He's um, pushing her. Um, not necessarily confrontational, but, mm-hmm. you know, that sort of, that sort of like almost tough love mentor type. Mm-hmm. And yep. she definitely responds to that in a positive way. Yep. Um, but she also, uh, to your point, I think here, um, is, is hurt. When he tells her, for example, like, you've lost, you have to surrender now, Uh right? Yes, absolutely. So she pushes him away, right? She calls him a blank sucker, (laughs) you know? That's right. Um, (laughs) And even though she doesn't know what that means, Mm -hmm. all she knows is that it hurts and people get mad when you say it. That's all she knows. And so what she says is, I'm hurt. I'm going to push you away. But what I, like about her relationship ultimately with him like at the time he doesn't handle it very well right because he locks her out of the room but ultimately he kind of says like it's okay like you can come back and we can still you can still rely on me to be here we can still play chess um and not only that but i'm going to believe in you enough that i'm going to set you on the the path to success 
Yeah, that's so powerful. Um, and, you know, obviously the sort of theme of, of Beth's resiliency across this series, mm-hmm. I think that's, that's sort of the seeds of her being able to withstand a lot of the, the you know, negative life events that she experiences mm-hmm. is these sort of formative experiences of, okay, I can have tension in this relationship and I, it's, it's okay. I can yep. come back to it. Mm-hmm. Um, she gets a lot of help with that from people who are not willing to let her push them away that's right like time and time again like harry and benny like she pushes them away and they go like all right that's not cool but i'm still here for you yeah um and And also research points to the fact that trauma is often a key factor in fearful avoidant attachment Mm. um which obviously girl has so much trauma (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And yeah, I don't know if we, we outright mentioned it. Um, and obviously, spoiler alerts, like if you haven't watched the show, we're going to obviously talk about all this stuff. But um, <laughs> Hope it you seems know a now. little late now. <laughs> um, but yeah, so so Beth, the reason she ended up in the orphanage being that um, her mm-hmm. mom, um, I think, more or less tried to kill both of them by uh, driving intentionally into a car accident situation. Yes. Um, her mom, who was also clearly having her own struggles. Yeah. Um, yeah. So some of these formative um, trauma experiences, as you said, s- establishing some of the, um, you know, bond tendencies that yeah. Beth moved forward with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and I really then- appreciate um, that that sort of point here because we, we then see the sort of relationships that Beth goes on to have mm-hmm. as she emerges from the orphanage, right? So we yes. have her stepmom and stepdad we have as you mentioned some of the other uh boys men that she meets as she goes through the chess world Mm -hmm. and it's really fascinating to see um how they handled that and and you never know if writers or creators of shows are are thinking about all these things that we're talking about Mm -hmm. um but i really appreciate that this is this was not an addiction story no this was not a trauma story Mm -mm. um this was bigger than all of that and i think that I really appreciate that as someone who in the past has criticized like overly reductive mm-hmm. stories yeah. about, you know, this, these sort of things. Like yeah. Beth is a very complex um, character who was resilient for a lot of different reasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, like you said, it's not an addiction story. I also kind of feel like it's not even really a success story, right? Oh, sure. Absolutely. Um, because she wins and that's the end of it, right? Um, right? What I ultimately think it is, is it's a story about relationships mm-hmm. right like the most important piece of this whole show is again spoiler alert when all of the guys the you know the twins and benny and harry and the french guys are on the phone for her showing her this is we've played through your games and this is what you can do right yeah. that's that's the whole point um and yeah, I, so this is I maybe a point for me to opportunity for me to ask you one of the questions yeah. I had because I, I was curious what um, what other people not having talked to a whole bunch of people about the uh-huh. show what other people thought about her interactions and her relationships with the men of this story um, right you know did it affect how you saw Beth I mean obviously um, you know and and this is not a um, you know a judgment of her or anything this is this is just um, sort of interesting, especially as we talked about her, um, you know, ability to form relationships. It was interesting mm-hmm. to watch, you know, how she sort of floated in and out of these relationships with some of these men as mm-hmm. she goes through her chess playing career. Yeah. Um, so I think it's kind of interesting, right? Because um, the the girls, and the reason why I say girls is because it's when they're still in high school. Absolutely. Um, they are all kind of like, tell us about the boys. And um, Beth is like, I don't know what you're talking about. But then also for the time, girl sleeps around, right? (laughs) Like for the time and for today, by today's standard, absolutely not. But at the time she definitely does. But I don't think that that, um, I didn't really even kind of notice, but also like I'm a millennial, so I wouldn't (laughs) really notice. Um, But what, what I did notice was again, that attachment style thing, right? She sleeps with Harry and then she kind of like 
smokes in bed and he's like, should I stay in here? Or go to the other room. And she's like, I don't know. I don't care. Whatever, sort of you, whatever want you want. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then he gets hurt, understandably. And so then he yep. pulls away and then she's disappointed that he pulls away. And she, so, you know, so again, it's that desperately craving affection, but then also pushing it away and wanting to avoid at all costs. Mm-hmm. She does it with, um, with Benny, right? She's like, oh, I love your hair. And then when he like asks her like to come live with him and come stay with him, she's like, leave me alone. I'm going home and I'm getting drunk and going on a bender um, and pushes him away. And, you know, she repeatedly does it with um, these men in her life. Um, yeah. And it's, I think it's an attachment style thing. And then ultimately when Jolene comes back and is like, yes, no matter what happens, like I'm going to be here for you. And then on top of that, seeing like um, Mr. Scheibold, was there for her even when they weren't in the same place. I think that showed her like, no matter what, I'm going to be here for you. Um, And I think that's the turning point for her is recognizing this attention that she so desperately craves. She can have it. And she's all there. Yeah. 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 Yeah, So I love that. I think um, we really see someone, you know, in a, in a non-therapy setting, like, learning from Mm -hmm. their non-trauma experiences right so um we have this sort of initial wound these initial trauma lessons right that beth Mm -hmm. uh, probably took away from some of her early life experiences and over time she's sort of unlearning some of those things it's okay um you know for her to to want things and it's possible for her to um to achieve right i think Mm -hmm. Um, you know, as she starts to sort of be okay with like chasing this dream, mm-hmm. um, to have that supported by her stepmother is, is really incredible to watch. Um, yeah. and we can talk about that relationship a little bit more because I think that's a, that's an interesting one. Yeah. Um, but I did have another question for you just because as I was doing research, um, for this, um, it was not necessarily that was top of mind for me, but I think it is clearly a popular question on the internet. You know, you and I talked about, you know, maybe getting into diagnosis a little bit yeah. deeper um, with Beth. And um, there is a, there appears to be a popular discourse on the internet as uh-huh. to whether or not Beth is autistic. Yep. Um, I do not have a popular opinion on this one. <laughs> okay. So, um, so that's why I brought it up. I was curious what your thoughts were. Um, and obviously, you know, the, the (laughs) autism spectrum is something that's very misunderstood and Mm -hmm. why people throw around, um, that sort of, uh, diagnosis, even with someone who, um, isn't in the show ever identified in any way like Mm -hmm. that. Obviously it's the 1950s, but still, so yeah, please, um, what, what is your unpopular opinion? Absolutely. (laughs) Well, first of all, what do you think the popular opinion is? Yay or nay? So I think, um, unfortunately, the sort of autism spectrum is this person on the spectrum has become a sort of shorthand for um, why is this person weird or why is this person different? Mm -hmm. Um, And trying to understand it through that sort of lens um, is just people's way of saying, like, is this the category that they fit in? Because Mm -hmm. I don't really like get what's going on for her. Yeah. Um, So totally. I don't think that's what they're trying to portray her as. I don't think that that's um, that's certainly not a thought that came across my mind at any yeah. point while I was watching it. Oh, um, on this yeah, um, on this audio medium, people can't see me like rubbing my hands together conspiratorially, <laughs> okay. but I'm so glad you brought this up because okay, good. This is the topic that I have things to say about all day. Um, and I think it's important to know that I have training in the ADOS, um, which is the, um, test that's used to diagnose autism in children. Um, I am not, um, a licensed ADOS, um, administrator, um, but I was on my way to doing that, um, during residency. Um, and okay. So I agree. I think that the common, feeling out there is that as soon as somebody is like kind of socially awkward, they have autism. Um, and as I've spoken about with Beth, like there's this fearful avoidant attachment style, which means that her emotional regulation is kind of off. She has few words. She is just very like to the point and factual. I think that's attachment style. I do not think it's autism. And here's why. So um, I've written down some of the diagnostic criteria for autism. Great. Um, 
and I think it's important for people to recognize that um, the diagnostic information is more about a general story. So one thing doesn't make somebody a diagnosis. It's a combination of things, and that can look different in so many different people. Um, so like even if we say someone has depression, my depression might be that I'm unmotivated. Your depression might be that you're sad more days than you're not, plus mm-hmm. 10 other combinations of things, right? So that's also really important to recognize. So autism. First and foremost, um, trouble with social and emotional reciprocity. So what that means is the person struggles with back and forth conversation. They struggle to initial initiate social interaction and there's reduced shared sharing of interests. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yep. Beth does not struggle with any of those. She can have a conversation easily and playfully and and engaged, um, both um, an intense, meaningful conversation, an angry conversation, a um, just like a playful conversation. She can do all of them, understanding exactly how the rules go without ever having been actively taught how to do it. Right. Um, she does not fail to initiate social interaction. As a matter of fact, she does it and she does it well throughout the series. Um, and the reduced sharing of interests, that's a little bit tough because we don't really talk about anybody's interests other than chess. That's right. You know, so, you know, it's a TV show. We can't really look at, look at that aspect of it. Um, okay. Any thoughts about that? Yeah. Well, so it's, it's interesting. Um, because as I was doing my research, like I said, it was, there's these sort of um, people who um, are not as uh, much of an expert as you are, just don't, don't have that experience. So you know, throwing over, throwing around these sort of, um, you know, colloquial almost descriptions, which is uh-huh. like, well, you know, autism in girls, um, mm-hmm. you know, they can be, uh, they can have this sort of strong interest in a thing and mm-hmm. they can also have uh, social skills. So maybe she is autistic and that's just different, looks different in girls than our mm-hmm. normal understanding of um of autism as it's portrayed in boys. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, that this is all falls into the, the, some of the sort of common misunderstandings. So I was hoping that maybe you yeah. could uh, touch on that as well. Yeah. So I would agree. Um, so the diagnostic criteria for autism is based off of boys. It's not based off of girls. However, right. some of the other things that are required are deficits in nonverbal communication. Um, Irregular eye contact, strange body language, um, purely poorly integrating verbal and nonverbal communication, um, misunderstanding tone. Beth, mm-hmm. like I had like six or seven examples of times when people communicated with her solely with their eyes and she knew exactly what they meant and she responded accordingly. Um, there were times when she used sarcasm. There were mm. times when she like suggested – so. When her mom, her stepmom, or her adoptive mom dies in the hotel, she like suggests to the hotel staff that if something happens, like she would, you know, sue them or, you know, come after them in some way in order to get them to leave her alone. Yeah. That kind of like um, savvy social communication is not easy in any person with autism. Sure. Um, and then, um, one of the main things is deficits in develop, developing, maintaining, and understanding relationships. This whole show is about her developing, maintaining, and understanding relationships. Yeah. Now, her her understanding of relationships is a little odd, but I think that's more due to her upbringing rather than a developmental disability. Um, and then finally, um, restic- restricted repetitive patterns of behavior. She does not show any of those. She doesn't wear the same clothes. She doesn't do the same thing over and over again um, in like a habitual way. Um, so, so for that idea of it looking different in girls or women than boys or men, um, yes, it absolutely does. However, she hits none of these. Right. Um, and so to me, I'm just like, no, she's a completely normally developed um, child, adult, mm-hmm. with really 
strong history of trauma that has led to weird attachment. Um, and I think right. ultimately that's what it comes down to. And I, I think another thing that makes people jump to autism is savant syndrome. Um, I'm glad you brought this up. Yeah. The sort of genius. Yeah. Stuff. yeah. yeah go ahead. So savant syndrome is you have a significant developmental delay and then you're exceptionally good in the field. So mm -hmm. she's a little awkward. She has questionable social skills and she's good at chess. Oh, she must be savant. I'm right. saying absolutely no way. She's not autistic. Like that's, and that's the key thing, right? Like yep. You first have to have a developmental delay in order to be savant syndrome. Some mm -hmm. people are just weird and really good at what they do. Like, does not mean that they're savant. Um, and I think that's her. I think she's awkward. She's got questionable social skills. And she's really good at chess. And that's the whole story, I think, with her. Yeah, I'm so glad you said that because it's it is there seems to be these questions of like what's wrong with her? Mm -hmm. Is it was it even a question I saw on Google like what's wrong with Beth Harmon? And you know, you know, not to be sort of cliche, but it's not so much what's wrong with her as what's wrong with what happened to her mm -hmm. and sort of how she has adapted to oh, that. Yeah. Um and I think people's rush to, you know, uh, assign blame or assign personality characteristics is sort of um, more the problem than anything is, you know, let's, let's take our time and how we sort of understand and get to know people. Yeah. And I think, um, because we're like learning about autism, I think people want to apply that. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, sure. Absolutely. You know, and like, oh, I just learned about this thing. Maybe she's this. Yeah. And, and yeah. I think it's because we're like, oh my gosh, this fits in. And, mm -hmm. and the thing is like, I can, I fully understand why people jump to this. What I'm saying is no, <laughs> like, right. it, sorry that like, she yeah. does not meet the criteria for it. Um, now granted, this is my clinical judgment of a fictional character who I only get some information. That's right. <laughs> so some other professional who also has the experience that I have, or even better experience, someone who's actually like their job is to diagnose autism might say that she is. Um, I would have a really hard time confirming that diagnosis. Um, because I like, I, fe I just feel like she's not as socially awkward as we think she is. Um, yes, she is socially awkward, but I don't think that's a lack of understanding or a lack of knowledge. I think it's, simply just kind of not really knowing what to do. Right. Yeah. Okay. So I, I so thank you for your, uh, your expertise on this area. I have now a similar, but, uh, fun question about how to understand Beth Harmon. Okay. Um, and that is, is this a superhero origin story? <laughs> um, that's funny. Is this why you asked me the question at the beginning? <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, I, I, that that's presuming I, I have enough forethought to do something like that. But let's say yes. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I think it depends on how you define superhero. Well, um, right. Yeah. Um, was she bitten by a spider? No. <laughs> um, I mean, maybe. Who knows what was in that basement? Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> maybe all the hallucinating when she was had, you know, toxins. Um, well, I'm yeah. saying maybe she has a very specific superpower. I, maybe I she can she, she can right? visualize a chessboard on the ceiling. Um, and maybe she could apply that superpower to other interactions with people. Of you know, she can see you know twenty to a hundred moves ahead. I mean, that's yeah. that's a pretty powerful superpower. Absolutely, and I think, um, I mean, I think she's quote unquote, a, a, I think she's a hero. Um, even Absolutely. if it's not super right. Um, that's why I'm like feeling so excited about this question. <laughs> like as a young girl, I would look up to her. Um, well, right. And, and that's yeah. sort of why I ask is because, and that's why another reason why I love this story and I love the way that the mental health aspects are, are handled. So, uh -huh. um, handled so well is that, um, this is a story, as we said, of relationships and also of resilience of a mm -hmm. person who can overcome things um, without having to show like, uh, here's therapy or here's like rock bottom of addiction or here's yeah. this or here's that. It's just, um, Life. you know, a person. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I so completely that's why, agree with you. 
Okay. There were so, so many places where they could have taken it to the Hollywood extreme and, and distorted it. And I think they kept it kind of moderate, which is more closely aligned with life, I think. Yeah, and I think that's why this show overall was so successful. I mean, another really popular Google question was, is Queen's Gambit a true story? Everyone's wondering, like, I oh my gosh, true. who's who's this unknown yes. Beth Harmon, like, chess prodigy? Like, I have to learn more about her. I was so disappointed when I found out she was fictional. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was so disappointed. But doesn't that also say a lot about us that that we hear about, a, a especially a female chess player, like, oh, well... This must be true. Must we just have true. never heard about it before uh-huh. um, because, it, I mean, these are the types of stories that should be told more frequently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Well, actually, there was as I was taking notes, um, there was one topic that like came up, but it didn't come up frequently enough that I was like, this is a discussion topic. But the topic of gender actually came up frequently. Like, yes, um, there was a time where um, I think it was when Harry initially beat her or or the game the first tournament that she played um oh she won um and the person that she beat said um yeah she's one of um she's really good for a girl yeah and it's like she just beat Mm. you dude like she's good for being good um but in the time obviously that would have been the focus and they're in the in the article about her, they used the phrase like an unsmiling girl, right? Yes. The Newsweek or Time person comes to interview her. Yes. That's yeah. a very cringy scene. In the yeah. Series, and yeah. they use the the phrase an unsmiling girl, which they would they never said that about Berghoff. And he doesn't no, smile at all throughout the film. He's also right. Russian. So they kill you if you smile. Right. Um, <laughs> just kidding. That's a joke. It's not real. <laughs> um, but um yeah, this idea that like um, this is a story because she's a woman, and yes, I think so. Um, but also, how sad, right? That yes, that makes that, that, it a that, story. That, that, yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. um, yeah. So we being able to kind of take ourselves into that era of you know nineteen fifties, nineteen sixties, especially mm-hmm. America, right? Yep. Um, and and watch it through the lens of you know, to a certain degree, the, the progress that's been made, um, in, in certain ways. Um, I don't think, um, now I'm not saying that it wouldn't make news. Um, but I think it would be, it would be a really interesting thing to see if this was set in, you know, 2021. Mm-hmm. Um, and because I am sure that some of these themes would still be the case, right? Yeah. She would still be probably ostracized and treated, um, treated differently. Um, Mm -hmm. But surely there would be unique aspects to that if she were, let's say, a millennial or something as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think this exact story could happen in today's day and age. Um, It would just, she would go viral instead of getting the the cover of a magazine. And um, she would have a TikTok and she would just be, she would walk you through all the things. Yeah. Yeah. They would have to explain to her how TikTok works because she would not get it on her own. <laughs> Great point. <laughs> um, that's actually, that actually made me think one thing that also made me think that she um, is pretty good with social skills is when she, and also just good for a human because most of us are really bad at this. Um, when she doesn't understand, she asks. She that does. for me was like incredible. Time and time again, they'd be like, here's a clock. And she'd be like, what's the clock for? How does what it do work? I need that? Yeah. yeah. Um, what's the pad for? Um, and I immediately was like, gosh, if only more of us were really good at asking for help when we Mm. needed it. Right. Because I think I like said to the people I was watching it with, like at every turn, there's somebody to help her. And then when I thought like, well, she asks, she seeks out help. And then because she's a likable person, they want to keep helping her. Um, but yeah, I kind of took us off off the rails. There. No, it's okay. Well, I, I think it's along these same lines, and to talk a little bit about trauma in general. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I, I read a, a great article um, by someone, uh, and I'm going to pull it up as I'm talking by Mariana Bakarova, a PhD, who talks about um, the sort of specific factors um, that you know, contributed to Beth's resilience. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I'm just gonna read this very short paragraph because this is all based in uh, research. So um, she prevails through 
Uh, number one, specific attributes with a strong genetic bias. Um, and I'm trying to think about what they're referring to in that. Like um, what she's prevailing through? Yes. Yeah. So what would what would her attributes with a strong genetic basis be? Um, uh, emotional instability. Sure. So it they hinted, and we would need so much more information to yes, um, mom diagnose, stuff, but yeah. they hinted that mom was um, potentially bipolar. She was yeah. definitely medicated for whatever was going on, but there were hints of like manic depressive um, yep. balance. Yes. And then so number two is strong relational ties, which we've talked about at length. Mm-hmm. Um, she has people over and over again who are there for her even when she's not seeking it out, even though she is capable and and does seek it out quite often. Um, And then number three, a support system who rewards her abilities. Mm -hmm. Um, And it goes on to say the same factors found in longitudinal research, which explores which factors make people resilient. Yeah. Um, And I think that factor, you know, a support system who rewards her abilities is Mm -hmm. such an interesting one. And one, frankly, you know, when we meet uh, her adoptive mother and father, um, Alma is her adoptive mother. Mm -hmm. um, You kind of don't know what to expect when she starts getting into chess. And, Mm -hmm. you know, having worked with, um, you know, kids in uh, the foster system or adoptive system Mm -hmm. um, to get the kind of support that she gets from mom is, is just the best thing to watch. Mm-hmm. And I know that this this story doesn't end well. Um, well, it's like who saved who, I think, a yeah. little bit too. Yes. Because Beth Absolutely. is there for her mom, her adoptive mom in myriad of ways too. Um, I think what I kind of got from that was that she was a bored housewife and mm. Beth gave her something to do because being a, being present wasn't giving her anything to do, but when suddenly she could like plan for Beth, you know, like all the trips and everything. And then she was making money off of that. And then Beth was like, she said, how about you give me, I'm making up a number 10%. And Beth's like, how about I give you 15? You know, again, this immediately aligned rewarded. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And I think it gave Beth what she needed, right. That, love and support and compassion that she needed from a mother figure. Um, and I also think that it gave Alma love and purpose, which she wasn't getting anywhere else either. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously that, that does end tragically and it's Mm -hmm. another opportunity for Beth to, you know, to, to figure out what her, you know, who she is on her own, right. Mm -hmm. Independent from some of the, the relationships she's, um, had to cope with. Um, yeah. So, well, Haley, I did want to ask, you know, were there any specific questions or, or dynamics that, that you were interested in or wanted to talk about before we um, head towards wrapping up our episode today? Yeah. I mean, I think for me, it was the kind of two, two and a half main things that I wanted to kind of talk about was the that autism diagnosis, the savant syndrome idea, um, and attachment style. So we definitely got to those. But there's one line in the movie, uh, in the series that I think sums up all of it, like her whole thing. Um, and it's when she's being interviewed in her bedroom. Um, and she says, um, and this is going to be loosely quoted, but you know, it's an eight by eight board with, you know, it's a world made up of 64 squares. I feel safe in it. I can control it. And it's predictable. If I get hurt, I only have myself to blame. And I didn't hear that quote the first time I watched it. But the second time when I was watching it with the eye of a therapist, I was like, holy cannoli. (laughs) (laughs) Like that's, that's the whole thing, right? If when you, I mean, for all of us, a sense of control gives us a sense of safety. But imagine if you, your life is just trauma after trauma and you find a world that you can control and you're really freaking good at controlling it. And if you get hurt, you only have yourself to blame. Like no wonder she loses herself in that world. And not just control, but predict in many cases. Yeah. And that's what she said. It's predictable. Yeah. Yeah. And where her mom wasn't right. And life isn't right. Like her adoptive mom dies. There's no way she could, well, might have been able to predict that, but like there's there's no way that you could predict it happening when it happened and how it happened, right? And so, yeah, 
when she gets hurt in those situations, she can't blame herself. There's no one to blame. And that hurts even more. But in her world, I feel safe in it. I can control it. It's predictable. If I get hurt, I only have myself to blame. And that's what chess was for her. Yeah. And and we see her grow with that mindset. It's fascinating because that was her mindset really in many ways at the beginning of Mm -hmm. her success and obviously carried her through a lot of the ups and downs. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, some of the the more difficult moments, you know, when she shows up to the first um, match um, with the, uh, the Russian, um, mm-hmm. master mm-hmm. who Borgoff, right? Yeah. Berghoff. Um, and she's hung over and mm-hmm. really struggles through that and ultimately loses that match. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we can kind of see her struggle and, mm-hmm. and sort of own what that was for her, but also that was not the end and it was far from the end. And I, I think that was, it's, it's, you know, making it personal for a second, like that's the thing that, if I could take a quality of Beth's, it would probably be that mm-hmm. is she seems to have. And and I don't know, maybe maybe you could speak to this in terms of how it relates to trauma, but like a, a short memory of, you know what? Uh, yes, that because I'm just thinking, oh, my God, how embarrassing, mm-hmm. you know, obviously all the stories and all the th- pictures and all these things that were going on during that that first loss. Um and, you know, I, she comes back to Kentucky after that for a period of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it was the timeline. That's when she goes on her, her bender. Yes. So obviously yeah. it's not like this immediate, yeah. like immediate bounce back, but yeah. um, she never loses sight of her goal. And I think that that's, that's really impressive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, so I thought about that too. And I think that um, those kind of moments of like, oh, most people would be embarrassed are some things that people would suggest make her fall into the autism category, right? Of like, she doesn't know to be embarrassed. Mm. Um, whereas I think it's more of like, she doesn't care. Um, like she, like in the, with the childhood that she had and in the orphanage, like you she didn't learn to care what other people thought as much until she went to high school and she started realizing like, oh, like I should be embarrassed that I shop at this store. Right. So that's a great like point. That. And that was yep. the first time that that even occurred to her. And right, she that was something like, that would exist. Yeah. yeah. And she was, you know, a full human by that point. Yes. And so to change that suddenly is not really easy. So I think she just kind of didn't really know to be embarrassed about it. And she, what she was embarrassed about was that she lost. Yes. She wasn't embarrassed about the the show, right? She was embarrassed oh, sure. by the fact that she lost. And I think that shows, right? Because mm-hmm. that's when she Absolutely. kind of, you know, like has kind of starts to unravel well starts to do that that's one point where she really unravels um, yeah yeah and i you know maybe to wrap us up I, I was sort of curious um you know because if we think of that as her sort of low moment in the show um you know let's say uh beth Harmon showed up at your doorstep right <laughs> uh-huh. um and I don't know if this is something that she would have done on her own as much as it might have been like Jolene being like, Hey, you know, I have, I have somebody that I talk to, like, uh, yeah. why don't you come with me? Yeah. Um, or Harry pushing her through the door. Yeah. Oh, sure, Benny. Sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. One of, one of the people that yeah. you know was really looking out for her. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've, we've obviously talked about, you know, diagnosis and stuff like that. And, um, and you not to get into like treatment planning, but like, what would your thought be as a therapist now knowing, um, you know, we know her, you know, sort of, uh, profile, we know her history. Yeah. Uh-huh. So what's the work going to look like? Um, it's for me coming, um, at it with, a conceptualization of attachment. Um, sure. it would be a lot about identifying her relationships and, and what they yeah. mean to her. Now also, um, to get a little bit technical, I'm what's called an act therapist, um, an acceptance and commitment therapist. So, it's a lot of emphasis on values and what matters to you. And so I would put a lot of work into that with her of, um, yeah, it was embarrassing to lose, but what's more important to you, not being embarrassed or being the best at chess ever? 
Um, and then having her make choices that are meaningful for her. Um, and in a, an attachment style like hers, which is the, the wanting the connection, but pushing it away, um, that can be really helpful because the pushing it away is about fear of hurt. And so my approach is a lot of, let's not make decisions based off of what we're afraid of. Let's start Mm. to make decisions based off of what matters and what matters to you are these friendships. What matters to you is your love for your, your mom, which is complicated and confusing, but also your adoptive mom, which hurts Mm -hmm. plus these friends, plus Jolene, plus Mr. Scheibold and all of it hurts. However, would you rather avoid hurt or would you rather have relationship? Hmm. Well, I, that's that's lovely. And I, I appreciate you walking through that. Yeah, no, it's be, because um, I think, you know, well, I hope one of the reasons people listen to our show is to kind of get a sense of like, okay, I see that that person's in this difficult position. Like, how would they get out of it? Yeah. And, and you know, she, as we mentioned, she gets out of it in many ways on her own and with mm-hmm. the support of her her peers and her support system. Um, but I think it's also useful to people to kind of get a sense of like, okay, if she was seeking, uh, you know, the type of support that you and I offer people, like Mm -hmm. what that would look like. So I, so thank you so much for that. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, obviously we could talk about this forever. All day long. Um, (laughs) and, and that's why I wanted to ask you that question just because I think that's, that's really interesting for people to know. Um, so Haley, as we wrap up today, I like to do sort of reviews, um, and I typically do, you know, I'll do the sort of, um, you know, out of five some things on a scale of how well the, rep- the mental health aspects of the show are represented. And my guests uh-huh. would do the entertainment value. But I would like today to, to maybe have that swapped because, as you mentioned, you know, some of your expertise during the episode, um, I would love to have you rate the show on a scale of one to five um, some things, uh, let's say, uh, queens or you can pick whatever uh thing from the show that you want um and i'll i'll rate it on a scale of one to five of entertainment value okay so so you want me to do um like mental health quality yeah from a perspective of a uh of a as you said as a psychologist um how would you rate the queen's gambit on how it represented uh mental health issues absolutely um if they were trying to represent autism a uh, two <laughs> great good um, clarification yep <laughs> um no i truly think um the way they represented her as a whole person so as a person who has high moments and a person who has low mo- moments and struggles and relationship issues and still lives with it, not through it, because none of it goes away necessarily. Um, I would say a four and a half and a, or a five. Like, I think they did a great job with it. I don't think they overplayed things and I don't think they underplayed things um, for the character that I believe she was supposed to be. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, and for entertainment value, you know, to to be honest, like this is not the kind of show I watch for entertainment value like especially in quarantine Uh um but i was immediately sucked into this show Uh um and frankly not necessarily because of the sort of uh mental health trauma stuff but really just because it's a really well a well acted a well shot like it's a very pretty to watch show um they handle the passage of time beautifully like the way that her um like style changes throughout the show. Like does the age her. Yeah. Yeah. The person that I watched it with, we went and looked up when jeans became popular for women because oh, no she switched <laughs> from um, like fifties dresses to like wearing jeans all the time. And the year was like 1965 or something like That's that. That's so funny. Which would have been when that switch happened. And I yep. was like, this is so beautifully done. Um, the first time through I would have given it a five out of five and the second time through I would have given it a six out of five yes this is a very entertaining show (laughs) Uh, you know if you haven't watched it somehow after listening to our podcast please go watch it um because it's great um yeah so 
So, Haley, thank you so much again for coming you. on the show today. I hope to have you back. Me um, too. Where can the people find you? Um, yeah. Are you on social media? What kind of stuff are you doing out there? Yeah, absolutely. So um, my professional social media 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 is Yenza Therapy and Consulting um, on Instagram. That's Y E N Z A therapy and consulting. Um, and I also have a Facebook, but basically Facebook is just where my Instagram gets funneled to. So, um, you can check me out there. Um, yeah. All right. Well, again, once again, thank you so much. Please everyone check out, uh, Haley's Instagram, which is great. Um, and of course you can always find pop psych one on all social media platforms. Um, I'm even playing around with TikTok. Um, Yay! <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, sometimes it's going to be stuff that's relevant to the show. Sometimes it's going to be goofy stuff with my daughter. So Good. if you want to see that, um, pops like one-on-one on TikTok as well. So awesome. please check us out. You can yeah. also join our Facebook group where we are ramping back up conversations around the episode. Um, and it's a great supportive group just for general mental health yeah. stuff as well. And share this with your friends. Yes, please do. Um, so once again, Dr. Haley Roberts, thanks so much. Thank and you. And to everyone listening, thanks for listening. Bye. 